the more that craft brewers become, you know, start positioning themselves as craft businesses and making hard tea or you know though these are products that have that, that are still they're different from craft beer in that they are modern incarnations of alcohol beverages as opposed to the more traditional ones and i suspect that that is going to count against the idea of small local businesses because you're, you're crashing up against multinational businesses making the same product and the idea of local doesn't matter as much to them Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryer Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and they're proud sponsors of this. And this is Brews News Week. And I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me is Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. Good morning, Pete. How are you? Oh, good, mate. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to sort of start every podcast, but another week. Like, it's just incredible how quickly time's going. Maybe it, yeah. What do you reckon? Is it going quicker because we're, we're all so used to isolation now? We're all hibernating well? Or is it just that um, mentally we want everything to move forward at a... Uh, a far greater pace than the glacial pace that we're experiencing at the moment, particularly those of us who have school-aged children at home. <laughs> yeah, and as, as a very, very proud and loving father, I do sense your frustration whenever I raise that issue. <laughs> Wash your damn hands and get back to school. <laughs> and, and the kids are suddenly going, yeah, maybe Mrs. Thatcher wasn't so strict. <laughs> I would love it if one of my kids had a teacher. Oh, Mrs. Thatcher gave us homework today. <laughs> But it wasn't about mining. Um, the mood seems to be changing, just anecdotally. And look, and we'll get into it. A few of our stories are obviously going to touch on um, our social media um, experiences and, in particular, the uh, algorithms that, uh, I guess, shape our news feeds in mm. particular. And it's one of those things where I, I'm getting, I guess, both sides of the coin uh, because a lot of my friends, obviously, uh, and, and colleagues are um, – you know, hospital workers or, or on that side of the, the the service industry, and are obviously, uh, in most cases, not able to do what they're really good at doing and what they love doing. Mm. Um, but then, on the other hand, there just seems to be um, for a lot of businesses, seem to have adapted fairly well and seem to have uh, embraced the new normal, just as it's about to change again. Um, but but just I, I I think a lot of people have found their feet. If that's so, so I don't, I'm not out of the woods by a long way, but I, I just get the feeling that we're accepted our lot and have adapted on the whole reasonably well. That's the thing, I guess, is that you know when when, when there is that rapid change that we were suddenly plunged into, you, you've got to work out how to cope. But we are incredibly resilient um, when when we have to be, um, which is one of the reasons why I guess we've survived, you know, to to, to this point. But we have found ways, and that's not to minimise any of the businesses that are, are, you know, doing it very, very tough. And I know that they are out there, um, and that's causing a lot of stress and a lot of grief and a lot of angst um, for for a lot of people. But in in, in the broader sense, you know, um, people have a, a adapted, um, and and there have been some, you know, including the the bureau's conversation that will come to, you know, th there are some good stories coming out of it. But that's not everyone's experience. No, 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 exactly. Um, now, some obviously mattered, he says, <laughs> trying to 
uh, segue into our first story. But uh, some have obviously done a little bit better than others. Um, did you see that there was some surprise, I guess, as Four Pines um, scored seven hundred thousand dollars in a small in, business grant. In a small is, business grant, yeah. And and, and uh, look, define small business, Matt. <laughs> well, but trust me, that's one of the reasons that this week has gone by so quickly. It took, you know, that, that, for, for a not particularly big story on a fairly straightforward topic. It, it was two days of you know, research and writing and phoning around and asking and you know even trying to get out of uh, Four Pines and CUB what a small business is and you know at what point does CUB stop and Four Pines begins, um, you know and, and look I, I have to say that that story was just purely limited to not any criticism that you know in, in the right circumstances the government shouldn't um, support you know any manufacturing business um, and. One of the, the things that came back to me from particularly the guys at Four Pines who are a very proud business and they're very proud of what they do and they're very proud of the of, of what they've created. They're, this is good for their staff. It's good for the Northern Beaches. It's it's good for... And, and you can't take any of that away. But the, the question here is, does a company that has been bought by a big multinational company with all of the resources, should that qualify for a grant that is earmarked for small and medium enterprises? And and, and that was the, 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 the nub of the issue. And it's a, it made one of the comments I saw um, on Facebook was it doesn't pass the pub test. And I, I think that is ultimately what it comes down to because, you know, like I've got a very long, very... Well, it does at the moment, really, because there's no pubs, so... <laughs> well, well but you, you know everyone I mean. gets Everyone gets an A. The, 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 the sniff test. Um, yeah. But, you know, like there was a really interesting uh, response. I, I even approached, because the definition of small and medium enterprise um, is different in different things. So I went to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, um, and it's businesses under 200 people. And, you know, so I put the proposition to them. How would they call it? You know, how would they group? Um, and, you know, I, I'm looking at a you know, a 10 paragraph answer for what is a small or medium enterprise and when it's different from a, a big business. And it comes down to, there's a whole lot of, a type of activity unit consists of one or more business entities, sub-entities or branches of a business that can be grouped according to a production activity and can report a minimum set of data items. These TAUs are classified according to the industry of the main activity. The relationship between TAUs and their associated legal entities, ABNs, may be one-to-one, many-to-one or one. So you may, that's the sort of thing that I was trying to wade through. Um <laughs> And yeah, look, I, I, I think the, the, the pub test, which talks about your average, you know, when you hear a thing and you go, oh, how, how does that happen? That's the pub test. And I, I you know, I, I thought that it was very surprising that, that a company that has all of the resources um, that they can draw on through CUB and through AB InBev and soon to be Asahi, that they qualified for this sort of assistance that the government was touting as being for small and medium enterprises. Matt? Uh, let me put it to you: Is this uh, does this smell of tall poppy syndrome? To the article you mean, like writing the article and having a bit of a dig at them? Uh, well, at that and I guess as is often the way, you know, the, the comments are often more well, revealing than the than the the article. 
Well, it would be, except you'd have to say, is this a small and medium poppy syndrome, Pete, given that they're, they're obviously not tall poppies. Given <laughs> that they what you this. did there. Yeah. Um, well, now, well now, here's another thing too, because I noticed that, um, and, and I guess what slipped under the radar was that um, up your way, Brisbane's uh, Ballistic Beer Company uh, got a grant as well. Yeah, they're, they're uh, I thought, oh, they got, they got the same, but then I realised, oh, no, there's a zero, one zero fewer. Um, so they got 79,000. Well, yeah. and, and 4.700,000. I, I didn't make too much. Um, and actually, that, that probably is um, relevant in hindsight because I think there were five or six breweries, you know, Little Bang got it, Ballistic, um, yeah, Stark Brow, that I think is um, actually Bridge Road um, is, 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 is the business behind Bridge Road Brewing is Stark Brow. So I think they got um, a little bit for their packaging line. Um, but the, the way that the funding worked is it had to be matched by the business, you know, at, at a minimum matched by the business and the funding was up to a certain amount. Yeah, and it had to, it had to be for a specific project. So the, the, the article um, quoted um, Four Pines received 700000 towards its total investment of $3.4 mm. million dollars in an automated multifunction packaging line with data capture and analytics. Yeah, and... and- but that's the thing. And, you know, straight away, if you look at, you know, well, they're able to put, you know, doing the maths, it was, you know, put two point something million up themselves and only get 700 of that um, from the government. You, they, they still had the $2.4 million to, to come up with. And, you know, it, it's trying to sort of peel the layers back of, well, you know, how, how does um, Four Pines account you know, because you, you don't see a Four Pines annual report. Four Pines, you know, Stone and Wood as an as an entity with the number of staff that they've got has to file financial returns. Yeah, although they've got 150, but because of the size of the enterprise. Um, and Four Pines business, including um, the ginger beer that they make, the uh, Brookvale Union ginger beer, is roughly the same as Stone and Wood. Um, if you, if you look at, across all of the brands, Stone and Wood's around about fourteen million. Uh, four pints are about twelve million liters. Yep. Um, and and Stone and Wood had to file ASIC documents showing their their detail because they're an independent entity. Four Pines doesn't. Four Pines, the only place you'll see any financials or any reports or any reporting for Four Pines is um, as part of AB InBev's annual report because even CUB doesn't really do a... Um, uh, CUB does a, a, a return on, on, on the ASIC website, but that's that's about all. Um, well, well, here's the thing, Matt. So um, am I misreading this or reading too much into it? So there's been some surprise slash criticism of Four Pines because it's owned by CUB, soon to be Asahi, AB InBev, soon to be Asahi. Yep. Um, with Ballistic... Part owned by founders first is that is the same is it the same sort of thing? Can you say well they're not actually a small business because they're part of this this bigger group? Well, well you can make that. I, I, I guess that's the argument, you know, and and it's the same argument. But I think at least in terms of ballistic, the founders first investment in ballistic is probably ten or fifteen percent. So it's an investment. It's not a hundred percent controlling interest. But even then, I don't know across all of the business units. Um, you know, even if you took all of the, you know, if you took the turnover, you know, for example, for JobKeeper, there there was a demarcation between businesses that turned over less than one billion dollars, and they only had to show a thirty percent drop. Businesses that turned over more than a billion had to show a fifty percent drop to get. JobKeeper, uh, because the, the government differentiates between businesses of different sizes. I, I think if you lumped all of the Founders First businesses in together, um, you wouldn't 
have a business that has more than 200 staff, I don't think. Um, so, and, and even then, it's, it's, it's only a small investor in, in, in a business like... Um, so you're still talking about orders of magnitude different. But this is, to, to, to pick up that point a little bit further, that is one of the discussions that we have around independence. You know, um, so it's probably not relevant for a discussion about small and medium entities, but it is one of those discussions you have, you know, when is a business truly independent and when when does it no longer become independent independence is defined as you know being controlled by an entity that you know makes a certain amount of you know you know control certain amount of the, the market you know there's there's a whole lot of um definitions around that just to make that uh fair in this case there doesn't seem to be a definition of a small or medium enterprise um except solely on staff and even then it depends on you know uh, Four Pines seems to be in a position where one day they can say, hey, we're a small, en- you know, we, we've only got 170 staff, so we're a medium enterprise. But then as soon as it suits them, they get to say, hey, we've got all of the resources of this big multinational company. Um, and, you know, the the international sales divisions, you know, the marketing staff within CUB that Four Pines you know, presumably can count on isn't counted in their head count. So they qualify as a small and medium enterprise um and 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 that's where it's confusing and that's where i you know i i think it doesn't really pass the 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 pub sniff test confusing i feel like i need a beer (laughs) well mate that's why it took or or perhaps a hard seltzer (laughs) oh yes our next story, Matt, positioning hard seltzers as brewery ranges evolve. As the beer industry evolves and breweries branch out into everything from kombucha to hard seltzers and RTDs, the question of how to integrate the branding of non-beer beverages with existing beer ranges is a hot topic. Uh, we spoke last year, late last year, um, when Lion launched Quincy. We've since seen CUB's Vodka Seltzer. Um, and then more recently, um, St Andrew's Beach Brewery, Lost Palms, um, and on the Gold Coast, uh, Hop Nation. Uh, sorry, they're up. Uh, Lost Palms up on the Gold Coast. Uh, Hop Nation have, uh, launched their own, like a, a standalone brand. Claire wrote this one, but it was it was more looking at the design because yeah, look, you know, we'd been talking about um, hard seltzers to the point that people that it became a bit of a you know a group meme um, or a bit of a listener meme, you know, joking about hard seltzers. Um, so yeah, you know, we, we've been talking about them for a while. But just in the last week, we'd got three or four. We had the actual from CUB, and then we had another couple of. Uh, there was Ray um, from Hop Nation, from yeah. Hop Nation that we sort of talked about last week. Um, and I, I think we even mentioned on the podcast last week all of the branding you know, looked like it was variations of the same theme, as if it had all come from the same uh, design studio. It was you know, 80s pastel colors, bold black um, print. Um, and then, you know, of varying fonts. Um, and so all of the ones we got were just slight variations of that. So, um, yeah, Claire dug in and just, was, you know, spoke to a you know, design expert. And then also Wade Curtis posted a really interesting, um, uh, in, uh, again, uh, for, for those who participate in the Facebook group, which is kind of like our show notes um, anyway for, for the podcast. Um, but he posted a really interesting design um, review of beer and alcoholic cider so it was just an interesting take to look at the way breweries are differentiating their hard seltzer brands from their core brands but then also um, the design aesthetic that uh, seltzer is taking on of itself 
Yeah, and it's it's clear that businesses need to make a decision. Do we want this to be associated with our our core brand, with you know, with our strength, with our, um, our what we show to the public, uh, and what we've built up as a um, you know a loyal and trustworthy brand, or do we do we actually want to use the power that we have of that to to help to push this one, or or is it like if I, if I don't like ABC Brewery, I'm not going to buy their hard seltzer as well, but I'm, I might accidentally buy it. And, and case in point, Matt, I, um, uh, I'm just trying to think where I was. I was picking something. Oh, it's at, at, at Uncle Dan's picking up something for Mrs. Pilsner. And um, yeah, you always have a wander down through the, the aisles. And I saw a, a, a kettle sour, a Berliner Weiss. And I couldn't really – just a, a bright sort of, you know, crimsony pink – Sort of can, and it wasn't until I got home that I realised it's a it's a pinnacle drink. So it's a it was a you know a Woolworths home brand, um, but that for me, like, had I known, uh, would I would it have changed my decision? It may have. It, it didn't factor into my decision because, it, as I say, it was this pink can, then with with purple print, and. It was, it was very small print, Matt. I, I tell you what, they're <laughs> well, making it smaller and smaller, and people mumble. Um, so look, it may it may have been. I did try to have a look and to see where it was, and I, I just honestly couldn't see it in the in the shop. But I thought I'll take it home and then I'll um you know do a bit of due diligence and then yeah and then found out where it was made. Yeah, and and that's um that that's the funny thing. There probably was a time that you know beers were marketed. You know, craft beers were targeted at people like you and I, and you know, I have to remind myself that that time is long gone. Um, <laughs> so the, these these designs aren't. Hello, really J Juice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, the one thing I will say is that there was a comment. You know, we've actually had a few comments on the uh, on the website, which is uh, you know a bit of a novelty these days. Um, it's, it's almost like getting a letter in the mail. But uh, Grant posted on the um, on that article. Tried a ray the other day, and all I can say is capital N O exclamation mark. Just <laughs> totally no. Um, it's basically an alcoholic soda water that needs something tastier to be added to it. Please tell me that this is not the future of craft beer. Um, so yeah, well, well, so I agree with those sentiments. I, I guess no, it's not the future of craft beer, but it is the future of the craft business, craft liquid, you know, craft alcohol business. I guess yeah. The, uh, yeah, and we do need to start moving away from yeah, just just purely thinking about beer. You know, for so long now we've had ginger beer, we've had cider, we're now getting hard seltzer. Um, presumably, hard iced tea is uh, on the horizon if if somebody hasn't done it already. And as we've just discussed, yeah, it's it's all about um, how you position it in terms of your, your brand um, and and your naming. Although, um, I, I, just to take it back to the point that I did discuss last week, the more that we move away from that. You know, walled garden, and it's a separate discussion as to whether this is a good or a bad thing. But um, you know, when the thing that fired the passions in craft beer um, that started what we call the revolution was the passion in the product. Um, and I remember when breweries started putting out a cider because they needed something for the person in the group that wasn't a beer drinker or was a, um, celiac or, or whatever, and so they would have a like a, a cider. And they generally would just smash out their own cider. And you know, when you speak to cider makers or cider cider professionals, they didn't you know retool or anything. They just fermented up um, apple juice just to have the, the, the product there. So on one hand, they're saying craft beer is all about passion and skill and artistry and all of these things. 
but when it comes to this product, we'll just smash it out just so we've got it. And, and, and that was you know when, when you had the people who had full-on cider businesses that were making artisan cider, they were quite critical of that approach. And that sort of bleeds into a mindset. And the, the more that craft brewers become, you know, start positioning themselves as craft businesses and making hard tea or, you know, though these are products that are, that, that are still, they're different from craft beer in that they are modern incarnations of alcohol beverages as opposed to the more traditional ones. And I suspect that that is going to count against the idea of small local businesses because you're, you're crashing up against multinational businesses making the same product and the idea of local doesn't matter as much to them. True. Now, uh, next story, craft beer retailer in trademark battle with Coles. Now, this one hits home a little bit, and I think you can probably uh, help us out a little bit with this, Matt. The Beer Drop, a startup craft beer retailer, is facing a legal challenge against its trademark by liquor giant Coles, who says it's too similar to a brand it trademarked in 2012, which appears to be defunct, although it is actually uh, registered until 2020. The Beer Drop was officially launched in October 2019 and founder Evan Raitano filing to register its trademark in June of 2019. In January this year, Coles opposed the trademark, saying it was contrary to law as it had substantially identical or deceptively similar trademarks, in this case, Wine Drop, which is currently not in use and whose webpage directs to first choice. Yeah, mate, look, this is an interesting one on so many levels, not least of all because I've had my own um, battle with Coles uh, about the Beer Book Club trademark. I'd been running Beer Book Clubs for years and you know, being me, I'd never actually gone to the, the trouble of registering the trademark. But then suddenly I saw posters around town for Coles Beer Book Club. And then I wrote to them and I said, hey guys, like I've been trading under this. Um, and then I registered, went to register the trademark and they opposed it, saying that you know um, I, I had no right to it. And you know, I considered that I... Essentially, in this case, they're arguing the complete opposite to what they told me um, you know, my rights were, which and that's the nature of law um, on, on one level. Um, and, and it, you know, look... I've got mixed feelings about this one. Obviously, everyone wants to support the little guy um, in it. But I'll be honest, when I went looking, for, when I heard about it and I went looking for their Facebook page for the beer drop, you know, I would put in beer drop in the, in the Facebook feed, in, in the Facebook search. And I came up with, I think, at least two other beer drop businesses um, before I could, then, then I realized, oh, they're the beer drop. Um, as opposed to beer drop, and you know, it, it, I, I, no criticism to those guys at all. Um, but it, it, it's a learning um, situation for anyone that listens that is thinking of getting into the business. You need to spend a lot of time researching your business and asking yourself whether just because it's a good idea is this the good idea that I should pursue? Because it, quite often, if it's a good idea, a lot of other people have had that same good idea. And you're not only are you entering a crowded marketplace for beer delivery, but you're entering a crowded marketplace in terms of, you know, all of these other businesses were doing beer deliveries, and admittedly they're in America or whatever. But how do you stand out? So yeah, look, it's it's really complicated, um, and that's why you know go back and listen to the conversations we've had with James Omond, read the comments that he made um, in 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 that article. Um, and think very carefully about whether just having a clever name or a name that you you know, you'd like the idea of is the right one you should go go with. Um, 
But uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah, personally, I'm I'm a big fan of um, if something already exists, you you have to you I, I have to lean towards protecting what exists. The, I guess the problem with this one is that it, it, it didn't exist. It, it doesn't. Yeah. It, yeah, it and, and they're exists, just arguing so. that you know they're they're trying to protect it. But the other thing is that you know they, they've basically abandoned it. They haven't used it for years. They wouldn't comment on when they last used it, obviously, because that doesn't advance their case. And, and you know, so so, so it, it, there's a lot of nuance in this one. It, at the same time, you know, I, I was just very surprised that you know, there wasn't a lot distinctive about beer drop anyway when, when I went to find it to to do this, you know, to sort of look into the story. And I guess the the advantage too for Evan is that it, you know, in re, in reality, his business is ten minutes old, so he hadn't established it anyway. So if you you know, you can fight the good fight and all that sort of thing, but at the end of the day, it's lawyers at twenty paces and. They're the only ones who come out of it winning and grinning. Oh, absolutely, and and that's the thing. Or if you really want the name, you can wait. You can wait until twenty twenty when the um, Coles trademark. Well, they'll uh, probably renew it expires. because they're, they're just like kids in the sandpit. <laughs> well, you know, they they want all of the toys, even if they don't want to play with them now. They don't want anyone else playing with the toys. So, you know, that that that'll that'll go on. Um, but you know, look. It, yeah, I mean, just just be very, you know, well, actually, the one thing I'll say is that he's been very, very good at marshalling the media for the David versus Goliath battle, um, because there's been a whole lot of stuff on um, TV news on a current affair and things. And we had big traffic, surprisingly big traffic for uh, for, for the story. Um, so he, he's been very, very successful. So maybe he will um, be able to pressure Coles to you know, drop their opposition to the trademark. Or maybe maybe Coles takes the opportunity to be the good guy and sort of not only have we dropped it but we've um, we've helped Evan you know with some rebranding or something and said you know we'll I don't know as Lion did but yeah look but but even if he wins a trademark you know he's still going to be up against you know when people are googling beer drop um, coming up with all of the other businesses that are longer established um, or, yeah, exactly. or or have bigger funds to pay for a higher search ranking. Speaking of uh, retail beer, Matt, um, COVID sees an increase in interest in canning. As brewers move to package beer after venue revenues were practically erased overnight following mandatory closures, the packaging industry are under pressure to deliver. Mobile canners across the country and around the world have packed out schedules as brewers make the move from keg to can or bottle. Chris Kelly from um, Australia's own East Coast Canning, said that the key for the business was getting customers and staff through the challenges posed by the restrictions. He was quoted, we weren't immune to the fear around the potential that at any moment your business model might have to change. We planned for every contingency and in 48 hours, we thought of as many scenarios as possible. Within one or two weeks, we saw what was going to happen and we got busier and busier. So I guess there's a red thoughts into green thoughts. There's a silver lining for this uh, COVID-19 caper. Go back and have a listen to the chat that we had with Chris Kelly you know, around about two years ago now. Um, but you know, like he—he's just a really smart businessman. Um, you know, when you hear him speak, that you know, there's a lot of thought behind what he says. Um, and so we, I, I, with all of the upswelling uh, in canning, um, went to him. But then also thought, well, you know, I wonder how many brewers who have been using mobile canning, you know, thinking well, we might take control of our own canning destiny ourselves because we'll keep our focus in it. And uh, you know, I, I refer people to the, the chat I had with Pat, with Pat McInerney. And it was a, have you heard it yet, Pete? I haven't had a chance to listen, no. Okay, but it's, it's, a, it's a chat that I really wish we'd had to, got to have um, sitting with beer in hand in his tap room because Pat is a huge character, you know, larger than life uh, character, but he's also, you know, a, a really good interview. And 
one of the things he talked about was, you know, they've found they're a hyperlocal business. They don't send their beer much out of their own postcode. Certainly not out of state. You know, there might be a couple of, uh, um, you know, further afield Sydney uh, breweries. So they're very local anyway. Um, and I think before the shutdowns, they were about 70% draft and 30% can. They've completely flipped that, um, although they're not selling any draft at the moment. Um, but and, and they're hoping to stay that way. And, and one of the reasons that he, he said, quite apart from the possibility of this coming back and reducing reliance, is that he, he actually said, look, I, I had to phone my accountant and ask him why there was so much money in our bank account. Um, and it turned out, and the way he explained it was, bottle shops pay. Um, you know, a, a, a uh, common complaint from brewers is... I hadn't even considered that. Yeah, you you because constantly... I just assumed that all you know off premises. If, you, if you're not selling it through your um, through your own tap room or your own cellar door or whatever, that it's you know you're waiting a month or two or three for that cash to come in. But it's that's just a venue thing, not a not a bottle shop thing. Well, apparently bottle shops are good payers, um, and and I don't know what the model is. And certainly in Queensland, the bottle shops are owned by the same. Um, ho- you know, by generally by the hotels um, that would be putting the beer on. Um, but maybe it's just a mindset thing or, you know, certainly with the change payment practices of, of the, the big brewers, it's 30 days. Um, but, you know, Pat kind of said, uh, you know, the sorts of venues that were taking on Willie the Boatman beers were the more craft-oriented um, hotels that, you know, maybe have 10, 15, 20 taps of craft beer. Um, and they tend to turn over more slowly. And, you know, so they get the keg, they wait till the keg has been tapped and sold and essentially realise that money before before they pay it. And that was just a, like a, a, an interesting point of view. Um, and you, you do hear people, um, you know, brewers grumbling uh, about hotels paying. Um, but then again, it's also a relationship they need if they want to supply tap beer. Um and, and, you know, it, it does highlight the challenges of that model. Um, and also, you know, from having spoken to sales reps in the small time I uh, spent helping out a mate with um, reps, if you're not getting multiple keg purchases, you know, with, with your sales calls, um, basically the, the, the cost of selling that keg takes away the, the, the any profit in that keg. And then if you're not getting paid for some time on top of that, you know, small-scale um, draft sales is a pretty tough game. Um, and if you're a business like uh, Willie the Boatman that is very local, you know, it, it, it seems to make sense. Um, so anyway, so, so so back to the story. Yeah, look, I, I wonder if we are going to see a uh, like a, a spike and increase in small brewers um, installing their own canning lines to uh, take control of that destiny. And if you're a small brewer, let us know, even with the old famous, don't quote me on this, but um, email, um, if you found that the, the the payment terms are better for package. Or also just that have we, um, has this situation, I guess, groomed a new generation of beer drinkers to thinking, well, actually, I, I don't feel comfortable going down, you know, to a big, you know, heavingly full pub just yet, even even once restrictions are lifted, and and I think that that'll, that'll be the last restrictions to be lifted will be the um, you know big sporting venues, but then the next one down will be your your, your restaurants and pubs and the you know those sort of hundred to two hundred um, person you know pub style venues. Do we now sort of say no? But but I will, but I will go down to my local um, 
independent, you know, my, my local neighbourhood brewery and I'll get a six-pack of their pale ale and then I'll see what else they've got, you know, a, a mixed pack of, you know, some specialty beers or, or something like that. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. Oh, mate, and we're going to be talking about this for months to come as, as we see things, you know, just see how some of the habits that we've adopted during lockdown, yeah. how tensile the pre-existing habits were and, you know, how much spring back there is um, once it's released. Um, but, but, Matt, I would remind our listeners, don't talk to Matt and Pete about this sort of stuff. You want to be speaking to Rellings Label Stickers and Packaging, um, who, coincidentally, have given us a new script to read, which I'll do now. They would like to wish their clients, old and new, that have supported them, should be who, supported them through the current COVID situation, a very warm thanks for their continued support. As we head out of the COVID-19 lockdown, um, the guys at Rellings Label Stickers and Packaging would like to wish everyone in the brewing industry all the very best in getting things back on track and heading to some form of normalcy. <laughs> really, guys? And then in brackets, new word for Matt and Pete there, close brackets. Uh, no big plug. Just Was I not supposed to read that bit? Uh, just a shout out. And here's to hoping that all is well and we look forward to enjoying many beers soon. Uh, and that number is 1300 852 235 lowercase t. Mate, that's, I think it, that's a typo. It, yeah, it's probably a typo. Just make it one three hundred eight five two two three five. But mate, normalcy. Try not to correct the sponsors, please. The advertisers, please. You know, like well, we're, it's hard enough selling ads as it is when we sort of write articles that they may, to help. maybe don't like. Um, but please don't correct them in their copy. I uh, tell you what. Yeah. Well, you know, they don't. Well, correct tell it. Us. Just don't draw attention to it. Well, I thought I'd slipped it through beautifully until you <laughs> made a big point of it. But Rallings, uh, actually, I don't know, Pete, do you get, does uh, Bolter send you their um, sample? I, I did receive a, a Bunker Buster in oh, the you mail. Did, did you notice how that, was, uh, how that was packaged? I did notice that as I picked it, uh, picked one off out of the uh, the four pack holder, that it, I thought, oh, hang on, this is, a, this is a sticker. This isn't their normal. This is a shrink wrap. Yeah. Done by Rallings. But I tell you what, um, and it looks seamless. Good. Well, obviously not seamless because they're obviously... Well, there's, there's a happen. seam on the shrink wrap, yeah, but, but there has but to But the seam is seamless. Um, but no, it, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't realise it was... I've I got to admit, I did automatically think, oh, Rallings. But then I thought, no, you know, CUB wouldn't wouldn't use... You know, they'd have their own supplies, surely. But that's good to hear. That, yep. that's no, a, and, and, you know, to Four Pines. Um, back to that Four Pines story. Uh, yeah, they were getting mobile canners in as well. Because you know they 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 have maxed out the footprint um, at Brookvale and uh, Bolter, um, you know get for for small scale um, canning like that they uh, have apparently been doing a couple of jobs for Rallings, which is good to see. Oh, and particularly I guess with, when all your, all your beer that was previously going into kegs is now all having to go into cans, it uh, it does change your um your your packaging schedule just a little bit. And I'm looking forward to trying it. Okay, then I won't tell you what I thought of it. Okay. I loved it. Um, Asahi's <laughs> last hurdle is cleared as details of tap contracts emerge. Now, this is an interesting one, Matt, uh, and plenty of, uh, of chatter around the interwebs about this one. The last hurdle has been cleared for Asahi's purchase of Australia's largest brewer with the Foreign Investment Review Board approving the deal. Is there anyone else yet to approve it? Because I thought the ACCC had the final say, but now... No, no, no. The ACCC said that the you know, we've got no competition issues and then the Foreign Investment Review Board has to say whether there's any problems with foreign investment. But given that it was already foreign-owned, you know, that it, didn't yeah. seem likely. I, yeah, I, I did actually think because I thought, I wonder if, if it wasn't a Japanese, if it was Chinese, would that have influenced their decision? Just with a little bit of backlash towards Chinese investment just at the minute. Well, I, I think it's more around security than anything else. But yeah, but you pose a good question, Pete. 
Uh, anyway, the $16 billion deal will now be completed on the 1st of June. CUB will become a business division of the Asahi Beverages Regional Hub within Oceania. So what's that? Abraho, <laughs> along with Asahi Lifestyle Beverages, Asahi Premium Beverages, and Asahi Beverages New Zealand. Whew. Lot to yeah, there was there was a lot to that one, but yeah, like at, at the end of the day, no real surprises. But the interesting thing was that because there was a court case that we talked about last week, and uh, the yeah, three hundred and eighty grand in the uh, for the the tap contracts. Yeah, so you know, did you see? A good friend of the program and a very vocal critic of tap contracts, Ben Krauss. Did you see his no, I did his, his comments. Yeah, on um, uh, attached to the story um, and look as Ben often does. It's um, it's he, he a cracking story, well told. But he sort of goes through and and, and like we've said before, you know that that I think some people are getting blinded by this rebate without actually looking at. But hang on, I'm actually I'm paying I'm. I'm the rebate. I've already actually paid for the rebate by paying overs for um, for the keg in the first place. Oh, it's for saving. All, yeah, all, all they're doing is you know forcing you to save and then giving you. Yeah, it, it's like mum and dad docking your um, you know paycheck. You know, taking ten percent out of your paycheck every week and then giving it back to you at some later date. They're not giving you anything. You know, <laughs> they're, they're just making you save. Yeah, I'll have to. Um... Uh, search back through and find Ben's comments and um, and see if we can add them to the show notes or or, uh, or give them some highlight or maybe we just speak to Ben and see what he says. It, it does show how complicated the tap contract is. I know, and you know, it's one of the things that you and I have had long discussions. You know, whenever you, you know Muzzin jumps on and basically says it's simple. And but you know, one of the counterpoints is um, is that if you're an aspiring publican or an existing publican um, going to your bank, you know, wanting to extend your line of credit or whatever, the publicans are asking, well, who is your contract with, and what's the the amount of your rebate? It's a financial metrics that the broader you know, industry that supports hotels through, um, you know, loans and things like that looks to. So they, they are deeply entrenched in the industry and publicans have grown up, you know, looking at this and they don't look at the price of a keg as much because we, the punter, they, they just sort of, you know, if, if a keg costs $280, they just run it through their spreadsheet and calculate the cost of that um, keg as a schooner for what they charge. Um once they calculate their GP. But in a business sense, they factored in those um, rebates well and truly in terms of business expansion and other things. So they really changed the market um, and it, 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 it's very, very hard um, to, to, to counter. But I, I don't think that it's something that you're going to just see change for, for whatever reason. But throwing a little bit of light on them um, it certainly can't hurt. In my intro, Matt, I uh, opined that there's a, a change in the your social media feed and that sort of thing. Have you noticed uh, in your personal feed, does anything come up that's beer-related? And, and, so, <laughs> and if so, how often? Tell, intro the story first because this is just... <laughs> Greater or less than uh, one advertisement every 35 seconds. Alcohol ad every 35 seconds during COVID-19. A new report has been released today, a report, showing the extent to which the alcohol industry is using the COVID-19 pandemic to market their products. 
In just one hour on a Friday night, 107 sponsored alcohol advertisements were displayed on a person's Facebook and Instagram accounts, which equates to approximately one alcohol ad every 35 seconds. Matt, discuss. Uh, mate, look, I, I don't want to tee off. Um, I'll tell you what, fair. fair is becoming the new four-letter F word. Mate, I actually, I, look, I hate it when I see people posting fun police or nanny state uh, because it's it's a little bit like the um, you know debating rule that whoever first mentioned compares their opponent to Hitler loses. Um, <laughs> as soon as you, you know, as soon as you try and reduce an argument down to nanny state or anything like that, you, you're basically losing. But you know, it, it, it's the closest I can come to doing it because. Fair does not look at research. If these people are professional researchers, they fail um, on, on that basis because both the sniff and the pub test, both the sniff and the pub test, but also just the basic and research the empirical practice, data collection in the empirical test. data collection test. Because you know they, if they're meant to be researching and educating people based on their research, they just fail because. They don't understand if they're basing their research on the number of times something shows in their Facebook feed. If they are an alcohol researcher, it's just like being a beer writer. You know, most of the, my feed is alcohol because I like just about every brewery in Australia, and the things that I respond to are, are alcohol related things. And Facebook algorithms are designed to give me the content that I want. Um, and so of course I'm going to get more than the average person. So straight away, your um, data is completely irrelevant because of these things called confounding variables. And this morning... Um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, well, what? I, well, if, if, if I've got it right, a confounding variable is you look at something as causing something else for research purposes, but you need to look at, you know, like um, if you eat fast food, you have higher body weight or you know, you, you have lower health outcomes. But are people who eat fast food more likely to be lower socioeconomic people? Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Who who therefore you know are who less likely to go home. to the doctor? Yeah, who don't cook at home? Um, you know, don't get regular health checks. Don't get regular health checks. You know, don't um, have gym memberships because and all of those which are confounding. And, and you need to when you look at your designing your study, you need to isolate those as much as possible. You know, like doctors, um, if you speak to doctors, when, when you're sitting in the uh, doctor's surgery and they're doing their sort of, you know, general test, they ask you, how much do you drink? Um, doctors know that we tend to underestimate... <laughs> add, add 10% to whatever what, the patient well, tells. D- depending on the doctor, you know, it's two or three um, times what you tell them. And, and, and they know that you're going to underestimate that and th- th- there becomes a game. And so... The data isn't actually reliable um, in the sense because you, you don't know what the, the, the true thing is. And, you know, self-reported surveys. Um, it, somebody posted um, in Matt Farrington shared a La Trobe University study um, that is asking people, has COVID-19 changed the way you drink? And it's a 15-minute research survey. Now, those surveys are going to, because people who follow FAIR and who follow these things and are anti-alcohol researchers, it's more likely to come up in theirs. They're going to follow it. They're going to have a very different response from anybody else. And these confounding variables, these aren't worth the paper that they're written on. And it's it's no better from when Lion... um, Look, there's a couple of books I'll post in the show notes. um, And there's a really good podcast um, that the... 
New York Times has put out at the moment, looking at the the algorithms for um, YouTube and how they changed about five years ago, and that actually created a lot of this, um, you know, ultra left, ultra right bias. Um, and it, it was all around the New Zealand shooting um, and you know, the, the rabbit holes that the algorithms push us down when we follow the YouTube you know, suggested um, podcasts. These things, you know, Facebook is exactly the same. So if you base your study on a survey on, sorry, Pete, this is a real rant, but um, it's just complete nonsense. Makes me, makes me mad, Pete. That's right. I was just, I'm just uh, while you're doing that, I was just, I was just Googling uh, confounding variables. It's very interesting. It is. All right. That's enough news, I think, for this week, Matt. Um, it's time to dive elbow deep into the mailbag. And don't forget to review us on iTunes or send us uh, an email uh, to be in the draw for Letter of the Week. You can also join our Facebook group. Just search Radio Brews News and use the word Soapbox. And thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel, who sponsor our Letter of the Week. Um, you can go into the draw to win a mix six-pack. Um, and thank you very much again to the guys at Beer Cartel. we got an email, Matt, from Nick Gottschalk. Hi, Matt, Pete, and team. I'll read this one out, Matt. <laughs> As usual, I've been dragging my feet, but I just wanted to write in to say thank you for the six weeks of the antidote that you put on at your own personal cost and time. Thank you also for then recognising that the need was fading and <laughs> was then and was then gone. <laughs> That's not his last backhand compliment. And finally, thank you for the correct pronunciation of my surname when mentioned in Thursday's episode last week. Well done. As always, keep up the good work. P.S. Please never feel the need to revive Pete's outros. Just terrible. Yeah, there's no backhanded compliment about that. <laughs> Just reading between the lines there, Nick. I'm guessing you didn't like him. Are you going to correct his um, possessive apostrophe absence in Thursdays, Pete? Nope. <laughs> nor, nor shall I mention the uh, failure to capitalise the word Thursday. <laughs> Sorry, we, we don't want to discourage people from writing in, but yeah, and then to, to be fair, he is spot on. I'm sorry, yeah, it was nice that you recognised that you know we, we don't do things just because we. Um, it was no, and thank you very much, Nick. And, and look, and again, um, if we do, you know, completely murder your name, um, any of our listeners, please feel free to correct us. It's the only way we'll learn. Uh, Scott O'Byrne on the Facebook group. Um, this was regarding the beer drop trademark battle. Fight them if you can, mate. It's a frivolous lawsuit being brought by a massive corporate with lawyers that apparently have nothing better to do. Make use of the media. They'll be on your side. Write directly to the CEO of both Coles and West Farmers and ask them to be human. Yeah, I don't think that, that, that they get um, incentivized to be human. They get incentivized to look human sometimes, um, <laughs> but that's you know to, to sort of appear human. And we should point out too that Coles has uh, been divested of West Farmers, so West Farmers would probably say, "Hey, if you want a, a nice beer that'll match with uh, Bunnings sausage, come and see us." Come and see us. Um, we've got a five-star review by Vinhol, Greg. Great show with good insight into the brewing industry. Thanks very much for that. We appreciate it. As we say, it's all about algorithms. Email from Gordon Bingham. Just some feedback. Really enjoyed the recent Ben Spoke episode. So much so, I ordered a four-pack of the Phlegm. One can in the fridge for Friday night and the rest in the cellar. So that's cupboard. 
to try the aging as was suggested. For future shows, or perhaps one I've missed, I'd love a focus on Imperial Stouts or Porters. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Gordon. Thanks, Gordon. Yeah, that, that was nice. And, uh, and, and funny enough, uh, I, I'd, if I'd gotten across to Western Australia, I was going to be speaking to John Stallwood. Um, you know, and his clout stout is one of the great Imperial Stouts um, uh, in, in Australia. So uh, I'll make sure that we dig a little deeper when, when we do catch up with John about that. And the second thing is... Um, Pleased that the Flem episode inspired you to buy it. Um, and yes, I mean, I, I don't invest too heavily in my cellaring um, capabilities, but just a little tip if you want to cellar them in, in, uh, you know, in, in a house, um, if you've got an old esky, um, and most of us have got an old beach esky or something like that, you can pop it in there, which will just insulate some of the temperature variation. Yeah, you know, it'll just sort of smooth out some the, of the, the extremes of the fluctuation. Extremes of the fluctuations, and also if you've just got a cool corner of your, once it's in there, if you've just got a cool corner of your house, or you know if you've got a, um, a garage that's dug into the ground in in the back corner that's up against the ground, popping it there again just keeps that little bit of uh, temperature variation. You'll, you'll never really be able to keep it cool. But it'll keep out the, the the worst of the temperature variation. Yes, the yeah, thermocycling. Gee, thermocycling. What are you, objective what are we reality. Call this episode? I, I, thermocycling or uh... no? no I, I think comparative. Was confounding, it confounding variables? Con, confounding variables. I like it. On that note, Matt, thank you very much to Cryo Malt and a big shout out too to Steph Howard, um, who uh, was just announced. Congratulations, uh, Steph. Yeah. yeah, stepping up in uh, in Cryo Malt, taking over from uh, Tom Adams, who's moving across to our other good friends, Convoy. So well done to them. Well um, done to them. to Relling's label stickers and packaging and to Beer Cartel, uh, who always uh, have been great supporters of this, of Good Brews Week. Um Matt, enjoy your week. You too, Pete. And just uh, just as we've been going on, I posted a little question. I've been reading an article uh, that podcast listens um, are, you know, confoundingly down um, when people are in lockdown. And they, they posited that it might have been um, because of people not commuting to work. Um, and that they oh, using the like... commute as a... Yeah, yeah. Because well, I guess our other main demographic for listening to this rebel is, um, is, is people doing the walk. Um, and I know certainly in Melbourne, uh, when there's like four degrees, I think, when we started recording this this morning, Matt. So it's, it it does take a little bit more effort to get out on that uh, on that walk. Yeah. So I noticed, like we did, we're down a smidge. Um, I, at first, I thought it was because of the amount of content that we were putting out, but then also the amount of um, you know compete the, the number of breweries that are doing YouTube and Slack and you know different. Um, uh, videos might be taking people's uh, attention, but looking at the very active discussion going on in the chat room, it looks like it might be a um, you know, commuting is a big thing. There are a lot of walkers. There are people who do it. Who um, Dan Waters from Capital Brewing um, said, "When I'm doing the dishes, and I can tell you, there's been a lot more of them of late." So um, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's just interesting when people listen. So if you want to join that discussion, please uh, please do. Yeah, and on that note, Matt, thanks very much. Enjoy your week. You too, Pete. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to all our listeners, and we'll catch you again uh, next week for more Good Brews Week. And we're out. Don't forget, if you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. You can also review us on iTunes or whatever your favourite podcasting service happens to be. Let us know what you think and help others find and discover our shows. 
Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive in return, as by way of thanks, a Brews News bottle opener. And thanks to our very good friends at Beer Cartel, the letter of the week will receive a mixed six-pack of great Australian beer. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because, as you may have heard, beer is a conversation. 